I'd be actually nervous if all of the, the training I was doing for the AI model that I'm using to support this customer was then actually potentially shared with everybody else that uses that same platform. Because isn't that some of my unique intellectual property? This is a podcast. It is called Insights as a Service. I am Brendan. I host this thing. And today I've got Wayne Small with me, the CEO of SMB IT. Wayne, good afternoon. It's afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me, sir. Very welcome. Now, let's first off, let's set the scenes we'd like to do. We've got lots of things I want to talk about with you, um, all MSP related, but let's talk a little bit about um, SMB IT. Uh, give us the the, the overview of, of who you look after, who your membership consists of, and where you guys came from. Okay. So I'll correct you on one aspect. SMBIT is actually SMBIT professionals. Okay. My mistake. I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, a lot of people shorten it, but we do prefer to be known as SMBIT professionals because the professional part is actually really important for us. Okay. There are a lot of SMBIT uh, focused resellers, MSPs, whatever banner you wish to call them at, under that uh, focus on the SMB space and they service clients in that space. What we are is we are the professional side of that, and that's actually really important for us and our members. We aim to deliver uh, professional levels of service to all of the clients in the SMB space that we look out for. We're made up of a group of companies, our members. Uh, we've got over 150 business members, which are companies around Australia and New Zealand that come together under the SMB banner. We are a not-for-profit association, and our goal is to try and ensure that as a group, we can actually help uh, IT uh, and technology solutions in the SMB space. We are individual companies. Each one of our members is an individual company and they're entitled to do things uh, in their own way. But what we try to do is try and help set things like some best practices, uh, things like how we engage with customers and share that knowledge that we have so that we all collectively can grow our businesses to be bigger and better. Right. And there's technology businesses that, that make up your, your, your base. Um, they're anywhere from, from sole traders up to about a hundred staff, right? Absolutely. Um, in real statistics, we've got about 75% of our member businesses are 10 person or less staff. Okay. Okay. We've got a couple of uh, larger ones that are hundred person plus organizations, but the majority are the smaller 10 or less. The other interesting thing is, is that many of our uh, business members have been in business, running their business for over 15 years. So they're long-term veterans in the SMB space. They tend to be, you know, as the name implies, SMB owners themselves, hmm. and they've got their heart and soul into their business. And that's why we as SMB professionals, we actually understand the needs of other small and medium businesses. Right. So, yeah, okay. So, so almost having that empathy, you know, um, knowing what it's like to run your own business and applying that in the way you deal with your end users as an MSP. Um, yeah. how, how many how many new entrants to the market do you see? Just thinking about that longevity, the 15 years plus, you know, do, is it still an industry where you see a lot of, um, you know, sole traders kicking off, maybe people leaving jobs and other MSPs thinking they can do it themselves? Or are there too many barriers to entry now where the... the yeah, you know, that's actually a really interesting thing. We're, we're looking at that now. Um, not only have most of our business been around a long time, most of the owners of these businesses are actually now in their late 40s, early 50s. Hmm. So we're not seeing as much of the newer, fresher blood come through that we'd like. Um, I, I kind of wonder if it's a generational thing, um, but it, it's it's a little bit hard to decipher exactly why we're not getting some of that through. Um, but that's that's basically as it is. 
what we as an association do and what our members are trying to do is we're trying to encourage people to help start new businesses. And we're trying to use the years and, if you like, the, the sage mentality that we've got as individuals to help lift up others and help build better businesses for everybody. Mm. I remember back in the day, you know, people would start an MSP or even a telco sometimes by having a couple of PCs in a garage somewhere that would host some things and, and it was all kind of smell of an oily rag type situation. But yeah, I, I don't know, it feels like a bygone era, right? It feels like nowadays the expectations and the requirements from end users are just so much more, um, I don't know if they're more complex or just more best practice. There's a, there's a greater awareness of what is best practice maybe that makes it harder to kind of do that yeah. um, streamlined startup. Or if I maybe you can correct me there, or is it that so much of what MSPs do now is a SaaS play that's almost has a proportional cost as you scale that that it isn't as hard? What's your take on that? Yeah, look, the, the, the landscape has changed. Um, I prior to running uh, taking on the CEO role here, I built and uh, recently sold my own MSP over twenty five years, and the landscape has changed from twenty five years ago to now. Back then, we were building and deploying small business servers in the SMB space. And there was a lot of break-fix type work before MSP was truly a term. Hmm. Um, in fact, I, I wish back then I'd taken on the advice one of my customers had asked me. He wanted to play a fat, pay a flat fee per month for everything that they did. And that's back in 1996. I mean, come on. That would have been at the bleeding edge of being the MSP. Um, but back then, the way in which we did everything was very much break-fix. We didn't have time for preventative maintenance because, to be honest, a lot of things were broken. Hmm. Um, but then we've come forwards, technology, software, process, procedure have all come forwards in a big way. And now we have tools, remote management tools, that we can actually use to automatically correct many of the things that we're seeing. So the whole landscape has changed from being, in my mind, a break fix through to MSP, and we're now moving into the next phase, which I saw one of your previous guests talk about around technology solutions providing, technology mm. service providers, where we're actually looking and working at a very higher level and looking more at a broker model potentially uh, for a number of our members. And, and just to clarify, just before I ask this question, so most of your clients are, sorry, your, your members um, are, are typically smaller MSPs and their customers, their target customers are typically smaller businesses as well? That's correct. Right, okay. That's correct. So in that space, um, is it difficult to kind of niche down and create a a, um, a more unique uh, brand and value proposition when perhaps the the requirements of those smaller businesses aren't complex enough to kind of allow for that to happen? Or I guess maybe asked a better way, um, how are your, your membership currently uh, looking to add value and, and differentiate themselves? Look, I think um, many of our members are very much the standard traditional MSP model. In fact, I would say that um, I don't have exact stats, but my gut feel would be 80% would be of providing MSP level services, whilst 20% or less are doing only break fix or mm -hmm. a portion of the MSP and break fix. Um, creating a standard kind of one shoe fits all is a little difficult because there's such a wide range of industries that our members look after. You might have some people that focus just on the medical professions. They might not work with some of their solutions as well as somebody who's in an industrial situation. Mm -hmm. uh, some people need 24-7 support. Some people don't, and they don't want to pay for that. Uh, SMB uh, business owners, by and large, they're not really thinking about technology uh, as a tool that they can use to help their business. Mm -hmm. Most SMB business owners still think, unfortunately, of technology 
as a cost, uh, not an asset. And so we're spending a fair bit of time when we're talking to the business owners, trying to help them understand how they can actually utilize the technology to build their business. Uh, and that involves building relationships with the clients, uh, with the end users, and building that trust level so that they start to share with us some of the things that they want to do at a business level. Mm. We can then start looking at the technology and saying, you know, you want to be able to do X, Y, and Z, then maybe you need to think about some slightly different solutions. So we can start to change the narrative around that conversation around from being a cost to a value add. Mm. Um, and that's one of the challenges that we face every single day when we're dealing with uh, small and medium business customers. Do you think that conversation gets easier around the value add as it feels like the whole world is aware of, of what AI is soon or now able to do, you know, ChatGPT or whatever version of that you want to call it, but, um, you know, just, just the, the ubiquitous application, whether it's, you know, copywriting or creating content or, or simplifying coding or whatever it might be. Do you see or have you started to see a change in that end user perception of technology and, and maybe the creation of a space in which your members can add value through to that consultancy and integration piece? There is no question that the AI technology coming forwards is going to help us do our job better. But like any computer-based thing, it's only as good as what it learns from and the content and the questions that you ask it. Um, I utilize uh, things like ChatGPT these days to give me not necessarily write blog posts and things like that, to give me ideas mm. and help me clarify thought processes that I then utilize to tune into my own words. Um, we had recently in one of our chapter meetings, uh, we had uh, a presentation from one of our sponsors who is a developer, and he talked all around how to use ChatGPT to build templates and then utilize those templates to build present um, proposals for their clients. So you could put in some raw information and say, hey, I need to build this particular kind of setup for this client can you go and get some information from their website and build me a proposal using this template? And within five minutes, he'd built a multi-page proposal that was custom for that customer and for that solution that would normally have taken hours of somebody sitting there, clogging away at the keyboard, uh, coming up with the ideas and the inspiration, putting it together. And you know what? That proposal might not have been the final product that they used, but it was a pretty damn good start so you can actually then wordsmith it around a little bit more and make it more unique to your voice. Yeah. So I really do think that in that one area alone, there's a lot coming. When it comes to things like utilizing AI for things like security monitoring, um, there are now within the industry people utilizing AI to handle tickets. Uh, that kind of thing is actually really promising because it allows a lot of the smaller, easier to fix problems to be dealt with more efficiently. And if we can deal with those things more efficiently, we don't have to have, say, our level one techs dealing with uh, the simple password resets. We can automate those types of things using AI. Then we can actually then start to lift the bar in terms of the level of technical knowledge and therefore the services and, and offerings that we can actually provide to our customers. It's changing the whole mindset in my mind uh, by utilizing AI to help build better business. Mm. A couple of things just came to mind there. One is uh, that the, it's all the landscape is changing so quickly. There's a real education piece in there. Like I've, I've got a few different things now that come through to me um, via socials or on LinkedIn, which I guess is still a social media platform. But anyway, um, and you know, it'll say uh, latest, you know, ten sites uh, come out this week. Essentially, you know, and it's one where put in your email and it'll it'll unsubscribe you from all the things you don't want. Uh, one, um, you know, put in some basic detail and like you said, it'll create a, a PowerPoint for you or a proposal or whatever. Um, 
there's all these different applications. It's almost like, well, someone needs to, to, um, almost handhold uh, businesses through how this could potentially be applied and if there's problems that could be solved through the use of these applications. And we're only scratching the surface because it's like what week five or month five or whatever it is, but we're just sort of dipping our toe in the water. So I know that education piece for me is interesting. Just, you know, people don't know what they don't know. If you can sort of um, not like a virtual CIO type situation, but just basically add it into your QBRs or whatever it might be. Here's some handpicked things that I think may help you in your business, given what I know of it. So you can add that 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 um, personalized value. The other one, just there with your point around, if we start to automate some of the the patching, the basic um, the basic uh, tier one type requests, does that does that decrease the perception of, of value offered? Does it put pressure on price points? And and then do you need to make sure again that you've got that that niche you're working within where you can add value and retain a a price at which you know it's profitable um, by by adding something much more than that. Like if, if we're if we're commoditizing and essentially outsourcing to robots uh, the the tier one, you know what does that mean for businesses? What flow what flow on impact does that have? Well, let's maybe take a step back from the AI part. Okay, mm-hmm. if I look back in my MSP's development over time, say ten years ago, we started implementing some RMM tools in a very heavy way. We started having uh, conditional responses built into it. If we saw this event, i.e. disk full, then run this script. And it was very uh, specific. And so that was a very early level of automation. With AI, we're then taking that a little bit further that we can actually go, you know what, we're always seeing this disk get full. AI can then start to go, well, there's something causing that. Maybe we need to change the um, knee-jerk reaction into a proactive one. And I think that's where AI can have some benefits as we move forward because it will learn from the fact that, you know, this kind of thing happens. Um, so I think that that's one part that is going to help establish a newer baseline for the cost of what we do to do service. Now, the other aspect to that is that the AI models and the responses that are built tend to be based around the association you're dealing with, i.e. if you're dealing with Wayne Small and his company for how you handle uh, all of the IT infrastructure requirements, then we're going to train that AI model in our way in how to handle things. And that is one of the things that makes us and our environment unique. If you go to somebody else, then they're going to have to retrain their AI model to do the things that you used to do. So in my mind, some of this stuff actually helps increase the stickiness of the customer with us. And it helps keep the customer with us long term because over time, we build up that inherent knowledge of how the customer works and the AI models can build that up too. That is then very hard to replicate. I think that's Mm. something that when we're dealing with account management type issues with clients, something we need to stress and highlight the fact that we're utilizing tools like AI to help deliver better services for them. Now, it might not mean that their service cost comes down, but it probably means what we can do, we can start to lift up more of how we provide better service to them. We might be able to provide other systems and other facilities to them in terms of um, uh, um, some uh, VCIO type consulting, if we have those kinds of resources, that maybe we haven't been able to do before. And therefore, the customer in the longer term gets even more better value for money. That's, That's my thoughts on that. Yeah, it's interesting. So if, if the AI functionality is inside of a, 
major vendors platform, I don't know what that mm-hmm. would be, but you know, whether it's like ConnectWise or Zendesk or whatever, um, in that model, you'd be relying on the, on the learned behavior being done on a instance by instance basis, right? Rather than all of it being compiled into some sort of a generalized database that's then fed back into every one of their customers. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting thing because I, I think I they think- would... I think it's going to be, you know, the way I see things at the moment and the way I understand things, and and naturally AI is a a very much evolving topic right now. Uh, Yeah. I I don't claim to be a guru on AI. I think few of us could. But the way I see things now is that I'd be actually nervous if all of the the training I was doing for the AI model that I'm using to, to support this customer was then actually potentially shared with everybody else that uses that same platform. Because isn't that some of my unique intellectual property? Is that something that I want to consider that is mine and therefore keep it with us? Mm. Um, yeah, going well, that's where I guess the potential regulation around like data sovereignty and stuff is, is going to come in because yes. from the vendor's perspective, they would be wanting to get as much data and as much knowledge as possible back into the engine to 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 learn and improve across multiple scenarios, et cetera. But from your perspective, you're going, you know, we've got some special source and we don't really want that dished out across the industry. I mean- there are some things that we do want to share, absolutely. Um, but, you know, there are obviously things that make our approach to things unique, how we might handle things. And, and we used to do this with, um, you know, Kaseya was our chosen platform. We used to have scripts that we would share with others within the Kaseya community. Um, but then there were some that we might spend years writing, you know, for instance, how to do this particular XYZ deployment with BitLocker, yada, 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 all mm-hmm. of the things that we would do. They're things that maybe we might not want to share because they're things that we've invested a lot of time and effort building at zero cost to everybody else, but at a large cost to us. Hmm. So they're things that need to be considered, I think, as we move forwards in how that data is shared. And as you said, data sovereignty, where is it ultimately kept? Yeah, there are, a big, you know, big question. There's a big around that globally, which needs to be thought about too. Yeah, I had a, question, a conversation about this um, uh, previous episode about regulation, but... It's a bit of a deep dive. Instead, what I'll do is I'll ask you, um, across your membership base, what were the big problems everyone was facing last year or talking about last year and, and how have they changed in 2023? What, what's the what's the emerging story or, or concerns? And, you know, let's be half uh, sort of positive about this too, potentially the, um, the, the, the opportunities as well that your base is talking about. So maybe roll back a little bit further. Back in 2020, before COVID became the thing, mm. um, so many of our members were dealing with getting people on site all the time to do work, getting that face-to-face with the customer. Obviously, COVID came in and then virtually overnight, we had to implement remote working, not just for our own teams, but we had to do so for customers in environments where sometimes that wasn't ever thought about doing, okay? Um, I know we had customers that literally, we'd been talking to them about, you can do these things, but you don't need to. Suddenly overnight saying, when can we have this? We need it next week, please. And so there was being a massive shift in the remote working environment as one of those things. Um, as part of that, it's also changed the dynamics as to how we build relationships with our customers. Um, when you go to visit a customer and you get the chance to sit across the table for them, have a coffee, whatever, you get the chance to really build that good relationship. When you're doing it via a webcam, it's a lot less personal. There's a lot more potential for things like interruptions to come in the middle of that. 
Um, when you're sitting across the table from somebody, you can see that they're not got their eyes diverted down here while they're checking their email and then they're talking to you because they're totally focused on you. So I believe that one of the biggest challenges we've faced over the last couple of years is that of maintaining and continuing to build relationships in a remote type environment where you can't literally see and you know physically be there with that customer. That's been one of the biggest challenges we've seen. The other challenge we've had within, I think, our industry in general is that of workforce retention, keeping our people. Um, now, as we went into COVID, everybody had to work from home. And a lot of people discovered that two things. Number one, they didn't like that or they really did like that. Myself, I don't mind working from home, but I love the social atmosphere of being in the office. That's my personality. And for me, I don't mind a bit of both. But for some of our team, they were like, when we could go back to the office, they were like, I don't want to come back to the office. Yeah. I want to seek a job now. That means that I can work 100% remotely because I love being able to do that. They love being able to have lunch with their wife downstairs. They love being able to see the kids uh, as the kids might be growing up. All of the things that they missed out on, people started to realise what was really, truly important to them. And so we had a lot of challenges with people basically deciding, oh, I'm going to jump ship and go to another job. So workforce retention is one of those. The upside of this, however, there are businesses now that have never been on site to see their customers because they've gotten so good at building the relationships over a virtual environment. They've got so good at being able to deploy systems and software that they don't need to send somebody on site anywhere near as much. Because of that, their travel costs have come down. Because of that, their productivities have gone up because now instead of having to wait an hour to send somebody to site, that hour of time can be spent doing something else. My question so there is, so, so, so if you've got efficiencies being gained because you don't have to have that that in-person contact necessarily, how much does that serve to, again, kind of remove barriers to churn when you don't maybe know the person quite as well as the end customer, so you don't feel quite as bad about telling them you're, you're buggering off somewhere else? Uh, you know, is and, and second question, I suppose, is is who's owning that relationship with the customer inside the MSPs nowadays? Is it is it a tech relationship? Is it a, is it crucial to have an account manager whose only job is to make sure that these people feel loved? Like, is it is it still a mixture? Like, how, how does that work? In our membership, with being the size of companies that uh, most of our members are, the tech is often the one of the key person that is building that relationship with the customer. The owner of that business might not talk to the customer every day, but typically he'll talk to the, the CEO of that company, the owner. Uh, at, a, at a higher level. So in some cases, if you work it right, you're actually increasing the depth of your relationship. You mm -hmm. don't just have the, the, the boss to boss kind of conversation. You're also having tech to boss and tech to a secretary or other employee kind of conversations as well. So you're actually, in my mind, increasing uh, that, that interface. Whereas before, when they didn't have to do that as much, the boss wouldn't typically go to site. So the, the business owner in the SMB IT business wouldn't necessarily go to site all the time. So for me, I actually feel like it's actually strengthening those relationships uh, stronger now than we did before. And it's made people realize that that's one of the things they need to do to be successful. Okay. As, as the wage inflations come in and, you know, there's that real squeeze, everyone was doing a bit of a merry-go-round while the borders were shut and, you know, it was this kind of just, yeah, wage increase flywheel situation going on. Um, have your membership found it harder to, to, 
uh, they, I'm sure they have found it harder to retain staff, but have they had to put that that uh, that cost through in their prices and how are they handling that? Are they finding it quite difficult to have that conversation with their clients? I think we, we've got, in our membership, we've got a couple of different mindsets in terms of prices. We've got some members that are um, looking at and reviewing their prices on a yearly basis. Mm-hmm. And many of our members have within their contracts clauses that say, Every end of financial year, we're going to increase our rates by the cost of CPI. Sure. Some of our members, and, and they tend to be uh, the, the members that have been in business a lot longer that don't mind and can see the value in doing that. Their electricity bills go up, so unfortunately, the cost for your IT services will also have to go up. And then we have the other side of our membership base who probably are more technically focused, who are nervous about having that conversation with the clients. Uh, they're nervous about putting their rates up. Uh, I was talking to one of our members the other day who'd said he hadn't actually put his rates up in six years. Wow. Um, and that's something where we years. as a membership, we can actually have some serious discussions because we know this guy pretty well. We yeah. can say, you know what? You're not doing yourself a favor by doing that. This is how we approach it. We can share a lot of good knowledge to help that member have the courage to go to the customers, you know what? I'm going to put my prices up. Yeah. And then implement that. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love around SMBIT professionals is the ability to share that depth of experience with those that might be nervous about doing it. It's yeah. the same thing at a technical level. You know, I might be a super guru in this particular silo of the Microsoft stack and there are others that don't know that. They'll come to me for help. And likewise, they might be super gurus in a networking stack and when I need a hand, I'll go to them. That for us is one of the great things for our members because together that strength in numbers, that's one of our mottos, is that how we can build each other up because I can help where you can't and vice versa. Do you find that your uh, membership ever actually just say, look, uh, I want to niche down a bit, but I want to have a referral or sort of a JV type approach where, you know, where these the demand for XYZ type of project, you know, you'll do that on our behalf wearing our polo or whatever, um, or even just as a very clearly stated you know, partner in this project. Is that happening much? Absolutely. Um, We have, for instance, security uh, deployments, so security cameras and so forth. Uh, They're things that require special licenses. And just in the last week, one of our members was like, I need to deploy security cameras for this client. There's a client's come to me as their technology guy and says, hey, give me all of these security cameras. But there are licensing and um, security implications around him deploying so he put his hand up and said, does anybody in this area have a security license that can go and deploy a security system for me? And it was like, yeah, sure, no problems. They build that relationship, they do that. That's the first part. Hmm. The second thing is, is that what we're finding is that a lot of our members, because they build the relationships over time with other members, they lean on each other. A lot of the smaller one and two man organizations that we have as members they need to take holidays. And I'll be honest with you, we tend not to have good holidays because we're, yeah. we're the owners, okay? Yeah. Um, so a, what of our, a lot of our smaller members do is they'll leverage the resources of another one or two-man band in their area. They'll build up time with that person, build up trust, and then while they're away on holidays, the other guy's handling things for them. That's part of what we like to bring and that, that, that whole uh, the ability for us to help each other out. Yeah, nice. It can be lonely, can't it? We're also seeing the other aspect of that, which is taking that to a next step. And um, I I started my business back in 1997. Um, I got it through to a certain point in 2005, and I was struggling. I had eight staff, and I was a techie that learned to run a business. And I'd done okay, 
Um, but then through the, the uh, industry, uh, which was actually the precursors to SMBIT, um, I'd actually met another guy who I had a great amount of respect for in terms of his business intellect. That's and Ryan, right? I was chatting to him, how can I solve these problems? And we talked more and more, and we did our first merger in under the banner of my company, where his smaller company came in under ours. We then grew over the next 25 years from, at that point, 10 staff to 60 staff. Now, I wouldn't have been game to do that kind of thing had I not actually known this guy through the groups that we were doing at that time and had the comfort level to actually be vulnerable and say, look, I've got a problem. Can you help me fix it? Hmm. That's Ryan, I, right? That's who we're talking about? That's Ryan. Ryan's yeah, playing. Right. Yes, that's cool. right. Um, and, and through the course of my business's growth, we actually did six other acquisitions before we actually ultimately sold. So we got really good at doing those kinds of things. And typically, the companies that we acquired were other smaller companies that we'd met through the industry, through SMBIT professionals and through peer groups and so forth that we deal with outside of that. So that's the value to me in being involved in this type of community in general. Because yeah. you build that trust up, you can actually start to understand that, you know, um, Brendan is this kind of guy and he likes this and you, you get to form that relationship. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, and I've seen that um, uh, Ryan was, uh, she saw him hosting an M&A panel at uh, IT Nation events a little while ago as well. And um, yeah, you can definitely see that there's a type of MSP that go to those things where they're just looking to learn, open-minded. They're not they're not having that sort of competitive awkwardness. Nice. They're just um, seeing that they're facing the same sort of challenges and all looking to, to learn and leverage each other um, best yeah, they can. Honestly, honestly um, making a decision to say I was vulnerable was the best business decision that I'd made in my entire career. Nice. Because I would have instead probably shut the business down at that point. I was so frustrated with things that I didn't know how to handle. Mm. Um, and that's where, you know, leveraging the resources of others is such an important thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I think vulnerability in general as a management principle is just huge, right? Like if you can't be honest, if you can't be open, seek feedback, um, tell other people when you're struggling, yeah, you're not going to get ahead. And that, uh, that's something I've learned as well, but good on you. It's obviously paid dividends. Um, uh, so in the Australian market, which is, I know where most of your, your members are, what are you hearing, like macroeconomic picture, um, general, you know, uh, economic performance? Are people seeing clients shutting their doors? Are they seeing it sort of just truck along as, as immigration picks back up? What are you seeing? Um, in general, uh, we're seeing a lot of clients struggling a little bit, but okay. not shutting doors per se. We're seeing a lot of people downsize and look to do things more efficiently. Um, mm. So we're seeing some use of potentially of outsourced staff uh, in different countries around the world. Uh, we're seeing quite a bit of that actually through a number of our larger uh, members where they're, they're bringing in resources from, for instance, the Philippines and even Europe to be able to help run their business more efficiently and not only more efficiently, but actually cover different time zones. So the current economic conditions within Australia are a bit tight. Yes, there's no, no denying that. Um, mm. And everybody, I think, is very sensitive to where things are going right now. They're not certain what's going to be next. And so I think there's a bit of fear in that right now. What we're trying to encourage our members and their customers to do is actually look closely at what they can do to uh, be conservative, but also not be afraid to take steps forward uh, where that's appropriate to actually take on new and bigger projects, because that's what's going to help see them through this moving forwards. 
their customers are only going to be able to grow because there are opportunities there. As one business shuts, then there's still people that need the services that that business was providing. So we've got businesses then that can help fill those services within, you know, our customers' customers base, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're probably seeing the same thing. Um, we're, so we're very, you know, um, likewise, very channel focused. We work with MSPs as well. And, and we're seeing that just from our interactions with them, there's a lot of, um, you know, reterming for lower costs, um, consolidation of branch offices, uh, just no one's shutting their doors, but everyone's looking to make conservative or just, you know, they're making decisions maybe they've been putting off, um, which makes sense, you know, get ahead of any difficulties by running as efficiently as possible. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's that need then to go, right, well, um, we have some ideas around some projects that can help you run leaner more efficiently. Um, you know, here's the ROI on that, just being really hands-on with the education piece around it and, and sort of walking them through what options exist rather than just waiting for, for them to come and say, Hey, I'm looking for a project. You know, I think it's, yes. uh, it's, it's, it's a period where, um, MSPs need to be as, as proactive as possible. And depending whether that's going back to our point before, whether you've got account managers out there or you've got a tech leading this, someone needs to have a really clear responsibility within the org to to be tasked with those looking for those opportunities yeah i think one of the things that's important is because most of our smb uh business owners are talking to other smb owners they get it they understand mm. you see that's one of the things that um some of our members express concern about oh microsoft is going to come in and they're going to own the entire relationship with my client now it is true microsoft are coming in with a view to own that but Microsoft likewise don't have the resources to build that personal relationship with the customer. They don't have the resources to build that personal relationship to understand uh, the business that this customer is trying to do. And that's where doing that kind of management level or business level consulting is helping them understand. And I think that's where we're moving towards in future, where we're going to see more of that. So for instance, if you were my customer, I'd be understanding some of the big things that are important to you. You might have a budget to spend on, say, new computers. But after talking to you, we find out that you can actually extend the life of these computers a little bit more for another 12 months. And maybe that budget is better spent on a new forklift or a new piece of office equipment that's going to help you be more productive. The Microsofts of this world and the enterprise businesses that are trying to deal in the SMB space, they don't have time to understand these things. They're simply driving to a budget. We have to achieve these sales and this salesperson has to achieve these sales in order to keep his job. So they're going to try and sell you everything that they can versus consider that long-term relationship potential. Hmm. Run me through that though, Microsoft. Where, where where are they looking to get to in terms of their their penetration into that? I guess that service stack. What part of the support are they looking to to own? I think that's a hard one to answer. Microsoft. There's no doubt that Microsoft have all of the the product capabilities. The problem is, is that it takes somebody like our members to actually translate that into how the business can use those facilities. Mm. So Microsoft have the product and we're not making money out of product anymore. We're making money out of building solutions for the client using the tools and facilities that we have. Things within the Microsoft stack, such as Power Automate and the Power Platform gives you the ability to build some really unique solutions for that client that, again, Microsoft themselves are providing the platform and we're providing the intelligence to understand the business and help marry those two up so yeah. that it's delivering real value. So I, I don't, I, I personally don't fear what Microsoft are doing. I actually encourage what they're doing from the perspective of building better platforms because that gives us 
the ability to build better solutions on top of it. Can you see them looking to own the the desktop support element for its products at any point, or they just don't want to get involved with that? Honestly, I, I don't know that that's realistic at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst there is a lot that has been done to make the desktop support easier, they've still got to handle the the user issues, the user who forgets their passwords all the time. Yeah. Yes, they're providing technology solutions to do that. The user who's left their two-factor token at home that day, how do we get them into the system? Um, and, and I think that that's an area where Microsoft are probably not as interested in worrying too much about that real face-to-face type support, so to speak. Yeah, there's a point where the service uh, doesn't scale and the profitability and owning that's not there. So yeah, I'd probably agree. Yeah. Um, uh, something you said to me actually when we caught up, um, at least I think you did, uh, when we caught up uh, prior to this uh, few weeks or ago to, to just talk about what we're going to chat about today. And you were saying that um, MSPs, as we know, it should have changed a, a long time ago and and a real transformation is needed, not just a change. Um, yeah. We should we should dive into that a little bit. What, what, what do you mean by that? So I think that what's happened over time, and I put myself in this same set of um, uh, parameters, is that we built our MSP, we did these things in a certain way, we started to add extra bits on top of the stack that we we're already doing, but we're still adding them on top of that stack. We're not saying, where's a blank piece of paper? How would I start a new business today? And I think that we need to see, and we need to see some real transformation. And, and what I mean by that, and I saw a graphic the other day that described it beautifully. Transformation is where the caterpillar turns into a butterfly. There's no going back. Transformation is not strapping rocket boosters on a caterpillar so the caterpillar can go faster. Okay. So I think that people need to consider, and a lot of our members have made that jump from being break fix to MSP. They're still doing the same thing there though, because they're providing a similar level of service just for a flat monthly fee. Mm. I think the next generation above that is I come back to earlier about the platforms that are being provided is where we need, now need to start to look at being more like business analysts, analyzing a business problem and figuring out how technical uh, solutions can be worked around to solve that business problem, as opposed to being, here's the latest product, that's what you need, tick, and we can figure these options. There's far more to it than that because the platforms are so more powerful these days. So I think that the transformation, transformation that needs to happen in people's minds is one along the lines of the caterpillar to the butterfly. There's no going back once you go forwards. So and if you were to that's start, what people need to consider. If you were starting an MSP today, what would it look like? It's like, like you're not buying it. You're walking in. You're opening your doors. Brand new. Haven't got a customer yet. The world's your oyster. What would it look like? I'd be looking for full integration of uh, my uh, client management platform. So you know how we store all the data about the client passwords, all of that kind of thing. I'd be looking for a full RMM system. I'd be looking for AI linked into all of these things. So that that way, that becomes just something I turn on and it just works. Uh, I'd be looking for technical people that weren't just technical people. I'd be looking for technical people that had some level of true business understanding, possibly people that have run businesses in the past, and therefore they understand more about what the SMB customer needs. I think many of the technical people, and yes, you're going to get the new guys, the young guys that don't have the experience, uh, they don't get the fact that Um, some of the technical nuances, they might be able to solve this problem in three hours, but in that three hours, the customer's business is down. So what workarounds do we put in place? Mm. So that's a level of like business level mentality that is missing. 
So I'd be looking for technical people that have that business level mentality that could work at a higher level and at a deep technical level. They're fairly rare. So they're some of the things that I would do. I'd be looking at not accepting anything less than credit cards on file to do month-to-month billing. That way I don't have to worry about trying to chase down as many invoices. I'd be looking at automating as much of that. that the, the options we have available these days are huge uh, in different accounting platforms and so forth. This is very different to what we used to do when, when I started the business. We had an Excel spreadsheet as our accounting system. Um, we pretty quickly moved from that into using MYOB and then further down the track into using things like Zero and so forth. So I'd be looking at automation from the get-go as opposed to an add-on. I'd be looking at automation and integration of systems as prerequisites, not nice to have. So I would look at that whole model a little bit differently in that respect. I'd okay. be looking at making sure that the level at which we engage with the customer is at a top level, i.e. CEO to CEO, uh, not CEO to operations manager. Because if you get that type of level, uh, then I think that you've got a great deal more uh, stickiness with that customer and your, your, the ability to stick with that customer long-term is much, much better. It is. I, it doesn't scale infinitely though, it, but it's a strong it start. It doesn't, but that's, again, I'm thinking yeah. of the SMB space. Fair. That's where yep. we focus on. Fair. Um, last question for you is actually, it's a bit of a self-serving question, but I'm keen to know. So, uh, you know, Lightwire with our um, wholesale um, focused hat on, we've, we've, we've had a focus for quite some time on, on Teams phone, Teams calling. How are you seeing um, uptake of that across your, your membership base? Are people, uh, are people starting to feel that there's enough features within it that it's a viable UCAS platform for their clients? Is it still just too, too poor in terms of uh, contact center or service desk features? You know, is there any... Is there any chat about it or are people still going around it or having to integrate Teams phone or Teams calling, whatever you want to call it, um, with a third platform? So I, I'm trying to think. I think I only know of a, a handful of our members that are actually utilizing Teams calling at the moment. Mm. And I think that that's because Teams calling wasn't there going back a little bit. Mm. So therefore, they had to build and they used other solutions, uh, things like 3CX and so forth. And because they're so ingrained in that, they don't want to necessarily spend the time because there needs to be significant value in Teams calling, for instance, to actually take that change from one to the other. Yeah. So the, many of them are using things like 3CX, um, WebEx, etc., because Teams has taken a little while to get going. Having said that, with some of the things I'm hearing and seeing with Teams calling, I'm kind of excited about that level of integration, that one screen, so to speak, where you can do everything that you want as opposed to going here to do this and here to do that. So I think mm. that there's great potential. I think it's just going to take people a little bit of time to think about how they're going to change and retrain their team had uh, over to using uh, MS Teams and Teams calling. Yeah, it Some seems, of the it updates seems good. that have just come out in the latest Microsoft Teams preview client that's out there, such as the simple ability to see if you're joined to multiple organizations, you can see if there's stuff in another organization now. Oh, good. Simple things like that weren't there and that's for it drove the adoption of other solutions like Slack. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm guilty of that um, because it was very painful. But so some of those features are coming through in the team's client product are making it more and more attractive. And that's something that I think one thing I've learned with Microsoft dealing with them now for over 30 years is that they might not have the features you want today, but look out because tomorrow is coming really fast. Yeah, and I think that's it. Once they solve the uh, the contact center service desk, you know the um, the real time 
analytics, the retrospective um, reporting, the, the the call recording that isn't um, just on the person's own, um, you know, instance when it's actually sort of centrally available and, and can be accessed by a, a service desk manager for sort, uh, for example. Yeah, I think that's when it's really going to take over. Um, and I should do a quick plug as well. Um, also, Platinum, um, are we Platinum or Titanium? One of them, 3CX partners. So there you go, because you mentioned 3CX. Um, all right, cool. Hey, look, uh, before we wrap up, uh, any anything else you'd like to um, let people know? Anything you'd like to plug? And, and also, where can they find you if they want to talk to you about SMVIT professionals? Well, look, thank you. Firstly, so much for the ability to come and chat with you today. It's been a great yeah, experience. Right. It's good to have you on. Um, I would welcome anybody watching this video if you would like to know more about SMBIT professionals, go to smbitpro.org and look us up. Reach out to me uh, via CEO at smbitpro.org and more than happy to chat to you about being a member. Our members are not just in Australia. We actually also have members in New Zealand. Um, we have face-to-face -face meetings in five of our capital cities around Australia every month. So very keen if people would love to know more about us to uh, have a chat with us and um, see what we can do to help you. Sounds good. As we said, it's... um can be a lonely gig being a, a, a small to medium business uh, operator and particularly an MSP operator. We are expected to be available at all hours and holidays are a rare commodity. So um, yeah, certainly uh, encourage people to get involved in the community and, and leverage the resources that, um, that each can provide. All right, Wayne, thank you very much for coming on again and uh, look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks for having me. Cheers.